Faith FM Breakfast Show with the Double L Team, Lyle and Lawson. That's right, you're in the Double L Team studio right now on the Breakfast Show with Lawson and Monica. That's actually a place. No, it's like actually, yeah, Le Mans. It's oh. like where they race cars for 24 hours. How did I know I had to do something with cars for yeah, you yeah, to know it was a place? That's right. <laughs> well, like if you're in Spain, you can say Le Mans, and then that's just like lemons. But oh. if you're in France, you say Le Mans. Then I'm guessing this place is in France. It is in France. I've been there multiple times. Dude, I wish we were in France right now. Why? Just pack up the show. Actual, Actually, why though? Faith FM from Paris. From, Ooh, from the top of the Eiffel Tower. I've been to both of those places and <laughs> I would rather be in Newcastle, to be honest. No way. One word, dude. Croissant. Croissant. I can't even eat croissants. So like, <laughs> why not? I, croissants have eggs in them, right? No, just tons and tons of butter, dude. Yeah, I, I can't even eat them. You can get a vegan one. Actually, they're better when they're vegan. Really? The best croissant I ever had was from the Melbourne Vegan Festival. It was really? a sorghum, sorghum, sorghum and margarine, I suppose. Oh, it's amazing. That sounds awesome. I almost bought them in bulk. <laughs> what are you grateful for this morning, Monica? Oh, I'm so grateful that today is my last day. <laughs> I just want to sleep in tomorrow. I'm so tired. Well, you know what? What? We're grateful for the exact same thing. <laughs> We're grateful that it's your last day, Monica. We really, you know, you've been in oh, here. I walked and, into that one, and didn't tomorrow, I? tomorrow you're gone. So, you know, we're, we're so grateful. <laughs> you're such a rat pack. <laughs> you're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Now, it has come time to get into our first question for the quiz. Yeah, our first quiz question today is this. Pretty simple. Who wrote the Book of Lamentations? Yep. Yep, you know who that is? Uh, It wasn't New Zealanders. (laughs) Because lemmingtons come from Australia. That's right. Okay. Lord Lemmington was an Aussie. Lemmington National Park's up in Queensland. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they don't know what they're talking about. They always claim it, and I'm like, They can have Pavlova. That one's surely theirs. Sure. Yeah, but we have lemmingtons. That's right. Yeah. Uh So lemmington's far far better than Pavlova. But who wrote Lamentation? Not the Kiwis yeah. or the Aussies. It's a neither neither of those yeah. guys. Zero four nine one zero six four six six nine is the number to call or text if you know the answer to that one. And if they know the answer, Monica, what can they win? Well, they can go into the draw, the big draw for Friday tomorrow. Uh, we'll be spinning the wheel and picking a name out of the hat, Oof. and uh, they could be getting a devotional boxed gift set, uh, The Hope of Glory and Our High Calling, two books. One's like a morning devotional book, one's an evening devotional book, mm. one's written by E.G. White and one by John Bradshaw. They complement each other. One's written about the other. And uh, a beautiful gift set. You can use it straight away or save it up for next year or maybe gift it to someone you know. Amazing. Yeah. 0491 Read that question Who for us wrote the book of Lamentation? Okay, what's happening in positively different news? I'm going to be continuing with yesterday's theme. Ah. Do you remember what yesterday we were talking about? Don't. We were literally discussing it before we went on air. Yeah, I, I, I know. <laughs> Fresh fruit and veg oh, and, course, and the effect yeah. on your mental health ah, and how yes. it literally makes you happier and smarter. Remember how we were saying about the um, the CFQ, the Cognitive mm, Failure Questionnaire, mm-hmm. um, and how actually eating processed savoury snacks 
literally makes you dumber and more depressed. So, and not, and not just like can't do algebra equations, like stuff like walking into a room and forgetting why you were in there mm. and how fruit, uh, fresh fruit and vegetables uh, really assisted that. So this is uh, keeping on with that theme because a, another study has come out with, the ex- with similar results and that is gardening. Oh. Yeah, so gardening can lift your mood even if you've never done it before and even if you have no mental health issues. So don't think like to yourself, oh, I don't have any diagnosis for depression or anxiety mm. or whatever. Nah, if you don't have any diagnosis, you can still get the benefits uh, from gardening. So it says here that they did um, – the, there's a deep satisfaction that arises from tending a garden so deep that it can live in even those who don't need to be, even those who don't know how. Mm. This new study shows. So they have a pilot randomized controlled trial of indoor group-based gardening courses, and they were actually compared to art courses to see uh, you know, how the moods of healthy women with no history of prescriptions for depression or anxiety could be improved. Um, so it's not every day that a study actually looks at healthy women. They're usually looking mm. at people who have some sort of uh, um, condition. Uh, so these people have no sim- uh, symptoms of mood swings, uh, but uh, if if effect can be like observed scientifically where the margin for improvement is the slimmest, it actually suggests that like robust potential for those in whom the margin for improvement is much larger. Mm. So the fact that it works for people who are healthy can only mean that it's going to work, work really for well yeah. for people who, who mm-hmm. actually need it. So they're calling this therapeutic horticulture. And uh, this was uh, thankfully from, from the University of Florida. And... Um, Past studies have shown that gardening can help improve the mental health of people who have conditions or challenges. Um, but these these were women predominantly aged 26 to 49. They actually participated in either the art group, which involved printmaking or drawing, or the gardening group, which is where they learned how to sow seeds, transplanting different kinds of plants, even tasting um, edible plants. They're like total beginners, mm. like you know, this is sounds like my category. <laughs> How to plant seed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we don't have to be some sort of like green thumb. You know, my mum's a green thumb. My mum could make a, a rock sprout green. Wow. Um, whereas I kill everything. But <laughs> <laughs> but just because she's skilled and I'm not doesn't actually, uh, in this study, like it's proven that it doesn't matter what your skill level is, you, you will benefit from it. Now, in the study, you said that they compared these to art courses. Yeah, so both gardening and art activities involve learning, planning, creativity, and physical movement, and they were both... Both used uh, therapeutically in they are both used therapeutically in medical settings, uh, which makes them quite comparable scientifically speaking. Um, uh, rather than, for example, like gardening or bowling or gardening and reading, that's mm-hmm. not quite comparable. But both groups demonstrated a, a significant increase in mood, with gardening improving feelings of anxiety more so than art. Mm. So, uh, but this is and this is very interesting. Both demonstrated dose dependency, which means the more they gardened or the more they drew, the greater the therapeutic effect. So, you know, ten minutes of gardening is good. It's not as good as an hour, though, mm. or drawing. I tell you what, I would be so much happier gardening than drawing because, or doing art because art freaks me out. Like, why? I oh, this is You're this too straight laced. This is some trauma, actually. <laughs> no, nah, not trauma, not trauma. Someone saw your crayon in your tooth. No, 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 no. I um actually, when I grew up, I had like a kind of a problem with my hands, like a muscle oh. problem, and like to the point where, like, my handwriting was really poor and my ability to do art, like, just to hold a pencil to do art was really bad. So anything that I drew was just, like, terrible. Like, into this day, like, I've got terrible handwriting and I and it's not necessarily because 
like my hands are like messed up now, but it's the grounding, the learning. That's right. I never like, cause I could never put the time into it when I was younger to learn because I would like write for like 10 minutes and my hands would like start shaking. Maybe that's what what you should be grateful for today. You should be grateful that you were born in the digital age where like almost no one needs handwriting anymore. Literally. It's like (laughs) the best thing ever. But yeah, when it comes to art, I couldn't think of anything more nerve wracking than sitting in a group of people. And it's like, (laughs) all right, we're all going to draw something. I'm, I would. Break out in hives? No way. You like, should do it then. No. That, Come and do a painting course with me. No, I'm going to stick to gardening. I, I, I I'm going to plant things. You don't have no, to think about that. No, I do painting that. courses because I need to um, get myself out of my regimented way of thinking mm. because painting is like more about free and you know less inhibitors and I, I struggle sometimes with that so I do it literally for that reason mm-hmm. but yeah you should come do it with me you just just face your demons Lawson no face your no, demons no I will garden <laughs> maybe oh, you can take me gardening and I'll take you painting or we can do en plein air which is like where you paint in the garden Oh, that would be is like that double whammy. Is thing? Yeah, yeah. On plein air, it's like French for like out in the open, out in the open air, fresh air painting. Fresh air It's like painting. when you like see like someone out like in the, like on a field or something with an easel and they're like, you know, got a hat yeah. on in there. But they're usually like painting the, 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 view. the view, right? Yeah, you can, we can like paint some flowers together. You can you can help me plant the flowers and then I can help you paint them. That That, that would be so funny if you like were painting out in the open, you know? You're standing on top of this beautiful mountain. You're like looking over this incredible valley and you've got your easel there and your, your canvas and someone walks up and you're like, oh, are you, are you painting the view? And you're like, not quite. And then they look and you're like painting a house. There's literally like an entire account on Instagram where they do that. That's so funny. Yeah, yeah. That's so funny, yeah. bro. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, <laughs> um, so <laughs> it's funny because the people who did this study are like mystified as to why gardening has such a good effect on people. Um, they do know that studies have shown that the that the leaf green as a color is soothing to the mind. Uh-huh. Um, but <laughs> I think we know what the real reason is, and that is God created it to be good for us. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, God created nature. He created that to benefit us. And for us to to, to work out in nature, you know, in Genesis, mm. he gives us that that um, that decree, that, uh, that, that instruction to look after the world. That's right. Yeah, we need to get out there and get our hands dirty. Our, origi- our original occupation was to be tenders of a garden. Yeah. Literally. Yeah, and it's good for us. There's actually studies now coming out that – contact between human skin and soil and grass is actually beneficial. Um, like we did this recently, we did like the chemicals, like it yeah, released right. in, the, in the petrichor and, uh, and yeah, and how good that is for your, for your, Man. yeah, for your mental health. So there's actually a slang that people use now. It's like a, it's like a saying amongst young people when someone spends too much time inside and or suddenly someone says something dumb online and, and it's like a symptom of just being too invested What's into that? computers and stuff, you say to them, go touch grass. And it's like, <laughs> it's like it. get out of your room, go touch grass. Like someone will be like upset about something online go and you're like, grass. go touch grass, like get over yourself kind of thing. And and I feel like that that is fantastic advice because yeah. if you're depressed over things happening on the internet or depressed over anything, go touch grass. Go touch grass. I need to write that down with my beautiful penmanship that I have. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. No, yeah. actually speaking of that, I wish I w- like my generation we weren't quite in the gener- like right now there's like a swing back where people are like getting away from digitalness cuz they, mm. they recognize it's like detrimental, but my era was a little bit before that where we're still just so entrenched in it, but um <laughs> you know how they say dowagers hump for like when you have a like a hump in your back of your neck. Mm. So they finally younger and younger people have that now, including me, and they actually call it text neck now. 
Yeah. Oh, man. Looking as soon as you much. said that, I, like, sat up. Yeah, I saw you sit up. Uh. <laughs> anyway, go touch grass, y'all. <laughs> You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. And we are going to have another question for the quiz. The seven churches of Revelation chapters two and three are located where in modern day times? Oh, mm. wait, so there's seven answers. No, no, listen to the question. The seven churches of Revelation chapters two and three are located where in modern day times? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Maybe I don't understand. It's just one country is the answer. There's your hint. Ah, They're all in the same country. Okay. It's like saying where are the six states of Australia or something like that. Ah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 0491-064-669. I don't know why that question confused me so much. <laughs> Do you like, think they're all in a different country or something? I, I was yeah. like, No, I see why you're confused. Wait, huh? Wait, what? Uh, anyways, 491 <laughs> is the number to call or text if you know the answer to that one. And if you do, you will go into the draw to win... The double prize, it is the boxed gift set, devotional gift, um, the Hope of Glory and our High Calling books. So, yeah, beautiful. And uh, I got to tell you, this one's really hard. I did not know this one. Mm. And I'd be struggling to figure it out. Mm-hmm. I mean, other than at Google. But, yeah, the seven churches of Revelations chapters 2 and 3 are located in which country in modern day time? 0491 Now, I said in the lead up to the show, mm. I said we're going to talk about Canada. Yeah. And we're going to talk about the Anglican Church. But I saw this story just literally like five minutes ago, and I was like, that is absolutely wild. And so I wanted to talk about it. Let's do it. The story from Canada is super wild too, but this is crazy. Okay, so basically, a pastor in the US from Brooklyn, New York, his name is uh, Bishop Lamar Whitehead. He is part of the Leaders of Tomorrow International Churches in Brooklyn, New York, but not a nominational movement, you know, kind mm-hmm. of very, very fitting of the you know church in the US has been robbed for one million dollars worth of jewelry whilst whilst he was like by himself in his church leading out in an online service. Oh wow! They these like two gunmen <laughs> ran into the church like oh into the, he was wearing the jewelry he was wearing a million dollars worth of jewelry while he was preaching and he got robbed. It, I thought you meant like they knew that he would be at church preaching, and so they went to his house. No, they come to the church. Now, it doesn't say whether he was wearing it or whether it was, like, in a safe or something. Wow. But they run into the church and in the church steal a million dollars worth of the pastor's jewellery. That is audacious on several levels. And then I think it was, like, $50,000 worth of the wife's jewellery. Whoa. So she's got 50 grand worth. He's got a million dollars worth. It doesn't say what the particular items were that mm-hmm. are worth that much. I'm mm-hmm. thinking, like, is there just some absolutely crazy item of jewelry that's worth yeah, a million many, bucks? Yeah, there's many, many crazy items of jewelry that are worth millions of dollars. Or was it like, was he rocking like 60 billion chains or something? Like, yeah, or, a bullion. <laughs> or, or what's, what's the deal? But essentially, they run in, tell him to get down, you know, mm-hmm. rob this guy personally. And then take off in a white Mercedes Benz. And just, it's like the rich are robbing the rich. That, that, literally, <laughs> literally, this is such a wild story. And like, let me guess, people are clapping back because they're like, "Why should a pastor have a million dollars worth of jewelry?" Is that what they're saying in the comments? So no, um, okay. There, there hasn't been any comment from the public or whatnot on you know d- denouncing mm-hmm. the pastor for that. More, the pastor has said, you know, he's put out a fifty thousand dollar reward for anyone who can help him find the perpetrators. Uh-huh. You know, the police are looking, obviously. Um, 
But yeah, it just does raise questions to how things are going down at the uh, the international. What is this? Tomorrow International Churches in Brooklyn. Like, yeah, wow, people are just robbing churches, robbing churches for a million dollars worth of jewelry. To be fair, I wouldn't have thought inside. there would be a million dollars worth of jewelry in a church. I think the police should probably start with people that know him because I feel like they had to know that he was dripping that much. Now, this is the point. This is like the big thing. This is happening in Brooklyn, New York, mm-hmm. um, where there is lots of crime. Yeah, but still a church. Yeah, but the the service was being live streamed. Mm -hmm. And this person, like for a pastor to have a million dollars worth of jewellery, he has to be well known. That's what I'm saying. And affluent and influential. So I I think it wouldn't even, you couldn't even say necessarily, oh, it has to be someone that's close to him. This guy is most likely a celebrity pastor. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Someone who, who is known to him because they would know that he... Has, is wearing that much mm. money, but this is the this is the point. It's like it doesn't necessarily have to be someone who's known to him because he is rich and famous as a pastor. I wonder if it was just like a Rolex or something. I'm, I'm just trying to imagine like a pastor a male wearing pastor, a million dollars, like worth having of like necklaces and jewelry, or and like was it in the sanctuary like somewhere else? Like was yeah. it in the church? I'm going to guess it, office? there was like a very expensive Rolex involved in this. Yeah, yeah, which is. Wild, yeah, it's like a typical male. So, I do want to throw in my two cents of like, bro, like, just why, like, why come to church wearing a million dollars worth of jewelry? Why even have a million? Why own a million dollars worth of jewelry as a pastor? Look, this guy is not only like a pastor of a big church, he's also into like real estate and owns mortgage companies, which is pretty typical of very, very rich and big, Mm. famous pastors. Mm -hmm. They're usually like smart dudes who are kind of affluent in other industries as, as well, which, you know, is, 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 is another conversation in, of, in and of itself. Is, like, the big question is, does God have a problem with people being rich? Mm-hmm. And the obvious answer is no. Yeah. Because there are plenty of rich people in the Bible. Now, does God say that riches is a burden that is very difficult to bear? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe this guy is confident in his relationship with God that he's like, yeah, I can be balling out in church with my million dollar Rolex or chain or whatever it is. Yeah. You know, maybe he owns a, a couple NBA championship rings or something. He's from Brooklyn. He's bought them off someone. Like, it could be any... any it's true, it, actually. Like, memorabilia jewelry. That's right. Yeah. It could be It could be anything. It could just be like two pieces. But, that was it. but the question is like, like, why put yourself in this to, position to be so liable? Firstly, to be robbed. Um, and, but then you can't say like, oh, I was robbed and it's, it's my fault. I was robbed. Like you, yeah, no, it's definitely someone else's fault if you get yeah, robbed. It's not asking for But that. simultaneously I'm like, just, ship. just as a pastor, is this the best optics? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah be rich. Yeah. <laughs> Use your money to save people. Yeah. Like 100%. Like I, I, I agree. Like, and it's fantastic when people can get on board. With the I mean, message not, you have We're money. not bashing jewelry, but like a million dollars worth of jewelry, like wanna rethink your priorities. Like thing. halfway through your sermon, like <laughs> like you're like blinging out. And then like maybe he said something like, You see this Rolex? Yeah, like, God that, got me this. That's what I was thinking. That's that's why I'm like someone should not someone would have known. Yeah. Someone been like watching the live stream, like, hey, I that's know right. we can find ourselves a hectic Rolly. There's actually a number of Instagram pages. I saw one in particular, it's called Pastors in Sneakers, and it's basically photos of <laughs> like mega church pastors wearing either expensive shoes or jewelry or whatever. And like the admins of the page, like pointing out what they're wearing. It's like this pastor is wearing two and a half thousand dollar Versace jeans or something oh, wow. like that. And so, you know, when like pastors hit this kind of celebrity status, they really start to turn into celebrities. Yeah. Um, but the thought is like, is that the best move? 
Yeah, it's, I think it's actually like quite a, uh, a pitfall for pastors. It's like even, mm. you can watch it, you can see it happening even in the Adventist church when pastors start to get uh, quite well known and it sort of goes to their head a little bit. And um, I th- I've spoken to you before about there's a phenomenon that happens um, around single pastors uh, yeah. called Pastor Lust where all mm. of the young girls are like, ooh, he's like a famous pastor and they all just want to wife him up and it's like... But not even not even single pastors, also married yeah, pastors. Yeah, married so sadly. In, uh, in Brazil... In the mm-hmm. church. Now, Brazil is a place where Christianity is very big and pastors often get very famous. Mm-hmm. Um, and even in the Adventist church in Brazil. So they, you can become like a professional evangelist. So someone who is either on TV or traveling city to city, winning people to Christ. And if you are successful at doing that in Brazil, you become a celebrity essentially. Yeah, wow. But what they do is basically you can be a evangelist a professional evangelist and get really famous, but the church automatically retires you at 40. Oh, wow. Because if they're like, they're basically like, we don't want you to do this after that age because the pressure of being famous is so much and they have so many struggles with scandals going down. Mm -hmm. And it's because like, ultimately like people, I, I believe it's human nature. Like people shouldn't necessarily be put in that position, even doing a spiritual work. Because like celebrities everywhere all the time. Yes. But people doing a spiritual work shouldn't be put in that position because there is so many of those temptations. And the church has gone, well, to avoid that, you know, and and none of the pastors who are getting into that kind of ministry are like, oh, yeah, I'm going to become an evangelist so I can sleep with women. Mm. You know, there are people doing that event, like that ministry for reasons that are holy and solely because they want to win people to God. But they're also human. And because of the factor of the fact that they become famous, you know, it's such a temptation. It's such a difficult burden to bear. And so they're like, yeah, we're going to automatically retire you once you get to a certain age so that you don't have to go through that pitfall mm-hmm. to actually stifle your growth and yeah. it will be better for you. And so, yeah, just reflecting on this situation, it's like, oh, is it the best to put people in this situation? Well, look at what happens. This guy got robbed. So yeah. kind of kind of a bummer for him. But hey, let us know your thoughts. 0491-064-669. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Let's have another question for the quiz. Yeah, you can make fun of me now because I'm about to pronounce a bunch of names I don't know how to pronounce. Okay, so Sanbalat, Tobiah, and Geshem opposed the work of which of these Old Testament prophets? Was it A, Nehemiah, B, Obadiah, or C, Zephaniah? This is this is like one of my favorite stories in the whole Bible. Really? Yeah, I I know these fellas. I know them well. I preached about them. I know who they are. Zero four nine one zero six four six six nine is the number to call or text if you know the answer. To that one give us give us a run you through can make of me the options. Again, aren't you? Yeah. Okay. Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem opposed the work of which of these Old Testament prophets? Was it A. Nehemiah, B. Obadiah, or C. Zephaniah? Uh, it was actually our, this story was our 20 million movement Bible study in October to December, 2019. Oh, there you go. So if you remember back that far, then you'll know what the answer is. If you're a faithful listener. 0491 Well, today we have come to our guest interview time and on our interview, for our interview, we are going to be having pastor or doctor Sven Erstring. Sven, are you there with us? 
I certainly am, Lawson. It's good to, good to be back with you guys again. Yeah, oh, it's fantastic to have you on and to get into, you know, when you come on the show, we, we talk about a variety of different topics from apologetics and hermeneutics and all kinds of things. But today, we're going to be talking about a particular book series that is incredibly famous. Yes, we are. And and the, the focus of today, uh, Lawson, is um, the power of story. Mm, that's awesome. Now, we are going to be talking about, well, basically the works of C.S. Lewis, the fictional works of C.S. Lewis, yes. looking at the Lion yes. Witch in the Wardrobe and whatnot, essentially the, the Chronicles of Narnia. Yes, yes. And and let me give you a bit of a background story to, mm. to that. Um, what happened was this, is that um, C.S. Lewis was working as effectively like a tutor um, at Oxford University mm. at the time, and um, it was right in the middle of World War Two. Mm. And so the BBC uh, was l- l- looking for someone who could speak to um, the, the topic of faith. So, so they found somebody about gardening. They found somebody about you know who could talk about health and medical stuff. Um, but they, they they were looking for somebody who talked to another you know really important aspect of life, and that was that was faith. And and they found that person, and that was in, in the person of C.S. Lewis. Mm-hmm. And so what he did is he started a a series of of broadcasts similar to to the the breakfast show, mm-hmm. um, in, in many ways, and and just looking at different aspects of faith, mm-hmm. and that resulted. In the the book Mere Christianity, which is yes. a it's a great book, it's a really great book, and and that was that was sold in in England. It was you know a, a bestseller, um, a, you know big success, and then it went across to um, to the United States, and not, not only um, Mere Christianity, but also Screwtape Letters as well, mm-hmm. and so. So Lewis was starting to get very, very uh, famous um, as as a speaker about faith, mm. and not only was he doing it on radio, uh, but he was also doing it back at the university. Mm. And at the university, he started this group called the Socratic Club, or at least he was involved in starting it for for the university students. And they would have uh, debates and and um, talks and all of those kind of things, and and. One time, he gave a um, presentation, or, or the Socratic Club considered his his argument um, from the the book Miracles, um, which is that, that atheism is actually fundamentally irrational. Which is really mm. interesting to think, because of course atheists would say, no, 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 we we we're the rational ones, and and, and a lot of atheists are very, very. Um, intelligent. Let me just um, uh, qualify that. But the the thing is, this is that um, he 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 was arguing that atheism is fundamentally irrational. Now, at that meeting, um, a, 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 um, a young philosopher by the name of Elizabeth Anscombe mm. uh, challenged him on that. She she said, you know, I believe in God. Um, but there's a couple of things which um, is not quite accurate in your argument, and and it, it challenged him. He went away. He rewrote the the chapter in in um, miracles and and tightened it up. And and even more recently, other people have come back to it as well. 
Um, but one of the things that really made him stop and think, and he said to himself, you know, we can do a lot of work in terms of the logic, the argumentation, the debate. But um, he realized that, as Dante put it, reason has short wings, which is a very interesting kind of statement, that the reason can, can only take you so far Yes. Um, there, there's something. There's something beyond. Um, you know the the reality in which we live, where we need to. We need something even beyond reason itself. This mm-hmm. doesn't go against reason, but we need to take it further. And what he had this growing sense was the power of story and imagination mm-hmm. uh, to be able to take us um, to to that place. And yeah, he. Um, that's when he decided. Hey. I'm going to write a, a children's book, and um, yeah, from that from that experience um, and, and that growing recognition, he actually started to to write the series, The Chronicles of Narnia, which which is a bestseller even to this day. Yeah, no, I um I never like read through the Chronicles of Narnia, um, but I was introduced to the radio plays, and I listened to all of them through. It was like a BBC production from I forget which period of time, but they're just like fantastic. And like, there's been movies that have come out since as well. Um, uh, but yeah, no, like these are just super engaging, fun, like you know world building full stories we've you know you got the you the, you're following lucy and edmund and susan and peter um but yeah so you have these incredible stories and i guess as you've kind of introed c.s lewis wants to communicate to them through these through these stories how how yes storytelling is is powerful uh but yeah yes. what what is the, the the chronicles of narnia really saying to us like what what is it yes. really about so, so an interesting thing to keep in mind, we, we've talked about this on another interview, is mm-hmm. that C.S. Lewis himself, he, he started off, um, you know, uh, grew up in a, a family which was Protestant in mm-hmm. Ireland. Um, so he understood all about those, you know, religious conflict and all of those kind of things. Mm-hmm. But he started off as a Protestant. He gave up on uh, faith, mm-hmm. and, and then he actually came back to faith, and he realized that the 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 story of Christianity um, made sense of the world in a way that no other story did. Mm. Um, you know, the, the story of you know God creating uh, the universe and our world. Um, that there was a, a fall. Um, humanity, um, you know, fell away from a relationship with God, but that God stepped mm. into this world. Um, to to uh, to rebuild that relationship, and and then um, through a an incredible act of, of self sacrificing love, restored that relationship, and then but that's not the end of the story. Ultimately, um, the 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 conflict between good and evil um, is going to to be uh, resolved, and we're going to to live once more in a world that God. Um, creates for us. And so what he did is he, he, um, shall I say, mapped that into this incredible, um, story of the series, mm-hmm. the story of, of Narnia. And so, you know, right there at the middle, you've got the most famous book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, um, you know, where, where you have Lucy going into, um, this, this, uh, incredible world mm-hmm. and, um, uh, finding, you know, that, that not 
everything is not as it should be. It's mm. it's winter, eternal winter, and there's no Christmas. Mm. Um, and, and you know that they, they get caught up in all sorts of different little you know power plays. Um, and of course, the, the the witches try to gain control, mm-hmm. but finally they get to meet um, Aslan, mm-hmm. and Aslan, of course, as you would know, represents the lion, represents Jesus, uh, Jesus himself. And, and in the story, Aslan, um, you know, is is killed, uh, but comes back to life um, so that all of the animals can can be free. It's 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 an amazing, amazing story. Now, mm-hmm. let me let me just um, just stop there. I guess. You know, uh, for for some of our listeners, they'd be saying, "But, but hang on, Stan. You know, there's a witch in the story. You know, why why would we be actually exploring a story with a witch?" Mm-hmm. And that's a good question. You know what I mean? Um, you know, the whole thing about that magic and and that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. But I guess the the reality is um, this, um, Lawson, that that. You know, if we go to the Bible itself, we have uh, witches and, um, uh, you know, um, spiritualism. You've got the Witch of Endor. Um, you know, you've got other spiritualistic elements too. So the, the reality is that it's, we need to recognize this is a story. And what, what is the, the message that this yes. story is trying to, to teach us? Especially, like, when you see, like, in this book is actually, like, denouncing the actions of the witch and saying, like, she's bad because she is a witch. This is something we've talked about on Faith FM before as well. This idea of just because the Bible references something doesn't mean that it is subscribing that you should do that thing, which is, a, yes. I think, I think with it, that's an argument that is brought to the Bible by a lot of skeptics that are, I think, ultimately uninformed about what the Bible says. They're like, oh, the Bible has slavery in it, and so the Bible's... Pl- pro-slavery and it's like wait no like <laughs> like read the, it is, and you can tell immediately oh wait you haven't read the bible and i think for this book as well like it's actually it's it's a probably a good thing to include um you know to include the witch as the antagonist because it puts us in the right frame of mind in regards to yes. thinking about those things and i just want to say yes. like c.s lewis wrote this and he really just hoped and wished so much that children would understand that this was christ in the story and this is exactly what actually happened for me i read this story as a little girl and when Aslan died I just remember weeping like I've never wept while reading a book before I was destroyed but I actually was like and in the story I was like why did he have to die like why would the story go that way and then I actually was like hang on this is supposed to be Christ this is like wow. Christ story. and I, I like a twig for me was the first time as a kid I really sort of got it mm. so yeah it, it definitely worked for how it was supposed to work for me mm. Yes, yes. And of course, you know, um, it's a whole series. It's a Chronicles of Narnia. It's a line which in the wardrobe is, is probably the, the, the most read book. Mm. But you also have, you know, the, the, the rest of the series. You've got the background um, to, to the story in The Magician's Nephew. But then mm. you've also got the last battle where, where the, 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 the conflict between good and evil is, is finally, finally mm. won. So it's, it's an incredible, um, incredible series. Um, but one of the keys is, is this, and I want to come back to um, this point about um, story. And you know, um, on this in this particular series of interviews, you know, we, we look at apologetics, we look at logic, we look at reason. And um, you know, why would we why would we transition? Or why would we kind of shift gears for this interview into a story? And and it's this: is that if we go back to the book that C.S. Lewis wrote. Uh, mere Christianity. Uh, mere Christianity helps us to understand Christian ideas. It's a um, it's a great journey through um, you know uh, Christian philosophy and apologetics. 
But what the Narnia stories allow us to do is it, um, they allow us to step inside and experience the yes. Christian story. Mm. I, and that, that is so important. So it's not a either or. It's not saying, you know, let's throw out a mere Christianity um, and, and just read the, the stories. The, the, the stories complement, mm. um, uh, you know, the mere Christianity and the, the, the thoughts, the arguments there. But I do want to say this. And and that is this that you know the chronic of, chronicles of Nani are a great story that they're best selling, but you know um, the fact is this is that there is a greater story, yes. and that is that is so so you know it's kind of like hey, mere Christianity is good, uh, chronicles of Nani are good, uh, line in which the wardrobe, um, but they're kind of stepping stones mm-hmm. to a greater story, and right. that story. Is the Bible? Yeah, a, bi- a book that is very much more better selling than mere Christianity and the Chronicles Absolutely. of Narnia, um, and and that's ultimately because like these two books are ultimately alluding to this this story. Yes, yes, and it, what it means is this: uh, is that that we are part of a bigger story. Our mm. our lives have direction. They have purpose. They have that meaning. You know, one of the things which we find in the world in which we live is is that you know we have the sense that that my life isn't connected. It's 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 um, what's happening around me is kind of um, is disconnected, and and I'm kind of at sea. Mm. But what the Bible does is it shares with us the history, the, the story of God's love for humanity and us mm. and what God was willing to do for us. And and the incredible thing is this, is that the Bible story is not only an incredible story, it is actually true and something that you can, uh, you can hang your entire future on. And so I'd encourage, you know, all of our, our listeners uh, to to explore the stories of faith, mm. um, and you know, if if Lion and Witch and Wardrobe is is something that that you would like to read, certainly do that. But uh, don't stop there. Go go back to the incredible world, mm. um, the incredible story, the incredible history, mm. and the future of God's love in the Bible, and, and experience experience the Christian story. It's it's an amazing. Uh, journey. I encourage you to do that. Incredible, Sven. Thank you so much. We have to wrap up the interview there. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.